Okay, I have a challenge to all of you, especially those of you who are dedicated to Catholic music. In particular, I am referring to music ministers. Yes, you. If you direct a choir at Mass, I'm talking to you. When was the last time that you introduced a new song? Or let me ask you this. Do you lead music for a life teen Mass? And are you singing mostly praise and worship music written by non-Catholics? Well, please. There is no excuse anymore. You can't say that there isn't any good music by Catholics anymore. All you have to do is tune in to Salt and Light Radio. We now have four playlists. Salt and Light Radio 1 for contemporary music. Salt and Light Radio 2 for easy listening and classics. Salt and Light Radio 3 for Latin and world music. And Salt and Light Radio 4 for children's music. If you're looking for new music for Holy Week, for example, how about Sarah Kroger's Run to the Cross or Curtis Stevens' Take Up Our Cross or Father Rob Gallia's Foot of the Cross or Susan Hukong-Taylor and Anna DaCosta's Song of the Cross. That's four new refreshing options just for Good Friday if you're tired of singing Lift High the Cross. And there are so many great options now. You just have to find them and you don't have to go far. Just go to Salt and Light Radio and tune in. If you have an internet connection, you can listen to Salt and Light Radio. It's that easy and the music is good. No more excuses for bad music at Mass or for not supporting the wonderful work of our Catholic artists. Listen to Salt and Light Radio and support the artists who support Salt and Light Radio. Buy their music. If you hear a song, you can probably purchase a CD, download an MP3 or buy the sheet music or piano score. Most of these songs are published by our good friends Oregon Catholic Press or World Library Publications. That's one easy way to build up our church. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. Today we're giving away a book that we featured last week. And our winner is Janice Glover. Janice Glover, you've won a copy of Father Thomas Rosica's John Paul II, A Saint for Canada, published by Novalis. Congratulations. If you haven't yet done so, please send us an email to radio at saltandlighttv.org so you can claim your prize. And for the rest of you, if you want to enter our weekly draw, just go to our webpage, saltandlighttv.org, and enter your name and email address where it says, stay connected for a chance to win weekly prizes. Make sure you enter your real name and last name. Those people who don't have real names, don't get entered. And if you do enter, please check your email every once in a while because you may win. Now, last week, we read a letter from Bob Solano of Temple City, California. I'm sure you remember Bob's comments about the issue of illegal immigrants to the United States. Now, we were not able to read Bob's full message because of time constraints, but Bob contacted us again, feeling that we had left out the main point of his message. The part we left out goes like this. I liken it to the sins of our fathers i.e., we are born with original sin because of the sins of Adam and Eve. Because of their non-compliance to God's command to them, we inherited sins through their actions. In a more recent email, Bob explained, 
The bottom line I was expressing is that the father of the young girl is responsible for the fact that he is distanced from his family because of his deportation. The girl and her entire family are affected because of the father's actions, not taking the proper legal measures to gain U.S. citizenship. Thank you, Bob, for your comments and for clarifying your point. We love all the messages you sent, and we do try to read some of them on the air as much as possible. Today, Alicia and Andrew are here with news and a saint. And in about 15 minutes, Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary, will be here with what's good with families in Hollywood. And Father Tom Rosica has a reflection for Palm Sunday, why this week, Holy Week, is different. And in our second half hour, we'll be speaking with the producer of the new Salt and Light documentary, The Francis Effect, Sebastian Gomes. Can we say that Pope Francis is having an effect on the whole world? Sebastian Gomes will tell us. And after that, we'll be meeting singer-songwriter Rebecca Rubion. I think everybody's going to like her fresh indie sound. Let's start with one of Rebecca's songs. Here's Love Me Now from her album Fields. You call the play today, young man, stay down, you can wait. I've seen it all before, been through this door and through that gate. You, you wanna test the waters now, now that you broke the ice, you made me slip and die. Rebecca Rubion with Love Me Now from her album Fields. And we're going to be speaking with Rebecca in our second half hour. But now, here is Alicia yes. with our news. And today the news is all in the Ambrosio head. So yes. let's see how this goes. It's been one of those days. So, first up, a story we've been following for some time, Pedro. Venezuela. Venezuela, We've yes. been following the twists and turns. We're still waiting for the Cardinal to get in touch with us. <laughs> We're <laughs> still waiting, but I guess uh, somebody, something else, somebody else got Some, in touch someone with someone else. else. Someone else got in touch with him. We are getting word today, or this week, we're getting word that Maduro's government... Maduro being the president... The president 
has formally sent a letter to the Vatican requesting that the Holy See participate in a dialogue process between the government and the opposition. Uh-huh. So this is moving forward. That's interesting. And that dialogue process was also agreed, seems to have been agreed to by the opposition as well. Interesting. Last update I got, um, the Holy See Press Office has not confirmed Okay. The reception of it, but it's coming from several mm-hmm. reliable sources within the walls. Okay, so so ongoing, an ongoing story. Exactly, an ongoing story. Hopefully, peace will come to the region Hopefully, soon. Yes. Hopefully. Next up, Pope Francis. Of course, Pope what's, Francis. What's news. he up to? What's he done this time? Well, aside from what's stopping he doing the on Pope Holy Week. Uh-huh. So this time for Holy Thursday, he is going to a center for elderly and disabled people. Mm-hmm. And he will celebrate the Mass of the Last Supper there. Yes. So it will be a private Mass. We'll okay. probably get some photos afterwards. Also, yes. But it will be a private Mass, just him and the residents. Mm-hmm. I think there's about 60 residents yes. who live there and more people who come for like physical rehab yes. um, programs yeah. and whatnot. So that is a big deal. We were waiting for that one for a long yes, time. Yes, we were. Any women or Muslims living <laughs> in that home? <laughs> that we don't know yet. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Probably the, the next mostly day. Yeah. elderly Italians. Yes. And then uh, there were a few other things that we learned this week. Now, the Pope is also planning a couple of other visits around Italy. Okay. We yes. know that we yeah, know that trips. he's going to yep. Korea later in the summer in August, mm-hmm. but before he does that in June, he will be going to Casale Loyonio, which is in Calabria, and the reason for this visit is quite unique. He appointed Now the Bishop of Rome gets to appoint the president of the Italian Bishops Conference. Right. Pope Francis appointed the bishop of this Casale Loyonio uh-huh. as the president of the Italian Bishops Conference. Right. He already sent a letter to the faithful of this area saying, you know, please forgive me for doing this. Yeah. And I think it was actually in that letter where he said, don't worry, I'll come and visit at some point. Uh, and so it's finally been confirmed. Why. That's June 21st. Then there's a second visit in July. Mm-hmm. July 5th, actually. He's going to the Diocese of Campobasso. Now, mm-hmm. I know a thing or two about Campobasso. I've been there. Uh-huh. Um, it's a tiny, tiny place. It's the smallest region in Italy. It's rural. It's agricultural. Um, and so when the economy tanks in the rest of Italy, Molise goes first. Campobasso uh-huh. goes first because there's nothing else uh-huh. there. So youth unemployment is a major issue and kind of the, the day-to-day struggle, how to get by when the when your main industry is changing. There isn't the same value right. in the agricultural industries as there was before. Yeah. But there's another reason. The Archbishop of Campobasso is writing the texts for Good Friday mm-hmm. for the Stations of the Cross. Oh. And that bishop was also known in his previous diocese as being a very vocal anti-mafia bishop right. preaching against the mafia. So Pope Francis is also visiting that diocese um, to show just how much he respects mm-hmm. this bishop and to show how close he is to mm-hmm. the people of this region. And then during the general audience, Pope... On Wednesday. Yes, uh, on Wednesday. Last Wednesday, yes. This last Wednesday, the Pope was presented with a cross uh-huh. made out of wood. Very odd-looking wood. Mm-hmm. That's because it's the wood from the boats 
that sank off the coast of Lampedusa. Lampedusa, yes. So very moving, very significant that they took some of the wood from these boats, formed it into a, a giant cross, and uh. you can still see the different colors of paint wow. on that cross. Nice. And they're presenting that to Pope Francis. That's good. Good news. And we'll see images of that then on, on Vatican. On or Vatican we saw them on yesterday, Friday night, but it's also available online. So thank you very much, Alicia. Um, I guess you get busy uh, as we approach Holy Week and Easter. Our Salt and Light News producer, Alicia Ambrosio. Watch her every week on Vatican Connections. Uh, you can watch that uh, on demand at saltandlighttv.org. And you can also follow her on Twitter at Vati Connections. Hi, this is Father Rob Gallia, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up, what's good in Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew... Deacon Pedro? Yes, sir. Do How are you? I'm good, thank you. You? you have good, drum roll. We've just come off celebrating the fifth Sunday of Lent last weekend. Yes, Holy and Week. Now we're, Can you uh, believe it's is, Holy Week? Here we are, Passion Weekend. Amazing. Unbelievable. So, do you have some, some Holy Week saints or Easter um, saints? What do we have? Yeah, if you want to call that Holy Week. I'm looking forward to next week's saints because, uh, you know, we're going to do a, an Easter special. Uh, but I thought I would look at three saints. If you don't Three. mind, Deacon Pedro, uh, just because I've never heard of them before, and their stories were quite interesting. So two of the three saints, their feast days are today, Saturday, April the 12th. And then tomorrow, uh, there's one, he's a blessed, blessed John Lockwood. Uh, we celebrate his feast day tomorrow on Sunday. So here we go. Okay. First one we're going to look at is Blessed Angelo of Kivasso. As a child, Angelo Carletti of Cavasso, Italy, was discovered by his mother in the middle of the night, kneeling before his crucifix and he was seen kissing it. Years later, uh, working as a magistrate, uh, Angelo remained faithful to prayer and visits to the sick, and that um, helped to sustain his devotion to um, Christ and to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh So following following the death of Angelo's mother, he became a Franciscan priest. So he preached across the countryside of Italy's Piedmont region, uh, seeking out the most remote villages and people that were there, uh, besides being the uh, vicar general for the Franciscans, Father Angelo authored a major work of moral theology, and that's called the Summa Angelica. Oh, yeah. At the age of 80, he undertook the challenge of preaching to the Waldensians, and that was a heretical sect that denied, actually, uh, Deacon Pedro the Pope's authority over the Church, uh-huh. as well as the huge teaching on purgatory. Hmm. His efforts won the conversions of many of the people and the return to the faith of numerous Catholics, who fell away from the church. So he was always known, when we look at his life story, uh, to be a friend of the poor. And Father Angelo asked to spend the end of his life begging alms for the needy. So mm. he was born in the year 1411 and died in the year 1495. Okay. Okay, let's look at St. Victor, who was a pope. We celebrate his feast day today. Um, he was an African who made Latin the official language of the Roman Church. Oh, really? Very interesting, because really? I was wondering how that came about, and here we are uh, with St. Victor um, being instrumental in that. So um, that's key to his story. He mm-hmm. made Latin the official language of the Roman Church. He was a favorite of Marcia, uh, who was a mistress to the Emperor Commodus, and gave her lists, tons of lists of imprisoned Christians whom she released. Um, during his papacy, which is from 189 to 198, he was a pope, he was huge on fighting Gnosticism and monarchianism. 
So St. Victor, we pray to on uh, this particular day. He died in the year 199. Okay. Let's fast forward to tomorrow. We've got Blessed John Lockwood. Uh, here we have an English saint. Uh, love hearing the stories of the saints in the Isles in Europe. So, uh, Blessed John, um, no different. He was an English martyr, sometimes called John Lasallus. He was born in Sowerby, Yorkshire, and he traveled to Rome to study for the priesthood as a mature man. We know that he was ordained in the year 1597, and he returned to England the following year. And with that, he was arrested and banished in the year 1610, uh, but returned to work until his arrest in 1642. So at the age of 81, uh, at the ripe age of 81, he was hanged, he was drawn, and he was quartered at York with Blessed John Catherick. Really? Blessed John Catherick I've, I've heard of before. And John was beatified in the church in the year 1929. And as I said, uh, he uh, died uh, up until his arrest in 1642. And his feast day we remember today, April the 13th on Palm Sunday. So these saints we look to. As we start off our Holy Week, we've got Blessed Angelo of Chivasso from Italy. We've got St. Victor the First. We finish off with Blessed John Lockwood. Okay, very good. Thank you. Three saints there to uh, head us off into Holy Week. Thank you, Andrew. Our saint expert, Andrew Santos, is a youth director at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Markham, Ontario. Hi, or a very sincere good day to you. I'm Monica Brown from Australia, and you are listening to The Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. You can like Salt and Light Radio at facebook.com slash slradio1. Also visit us at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and stay connected for a chance to win weekly prizes. And now it's time for... What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Pedro. As always, good to be on. As always, and you're, you've been thinking about families. Yeah, family is, uh, is something I think about a lot. Um, I've lived all over Canada, and among all the different Catholic young adult communities that I've been a part of, people were getting married left, right, and center, and yes. having babies all the time. <laughs> and one thing that I've really noticed about kind of the Hollywood young adult community out here is there's, it, to me, it really feels like there's a lack of families and small children around. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that is? Well, I think, I think it's two reasons. I think one is it's a very transient community. Um, I think any large center, it's going to be a center of sort of, you know, very high-ranking jobs and things like that. And here, obviously, it's, it's acting in the movie community. Um, so you get people who come in specifically for those positions. Right. Um, and so, essentially, they've, they've made the choice to, to essentially put their career ahead of perhaps having a family. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think that's, I think that's maybe the primary reason. But, you know, I was reflecting on it, and I kind of worry... Uh, that the worldly way of thinking has kind of infected the uh, Catholic way of thinking sometimes, too. And, you know, we might not be part of, say, you know, the hookup culture, you know, people going off and having one-night stands and stuff like that. But I think sometimes uh, there's maybe a fear. People sometimes see family as a burden. Right. They don't see children as the joy that they can be. Right. Now, but do you see anyone in Hollywood trying to promote family or healthy family lives living? Is that what this is about? Um, well, you know, so 
uh, you know, there are, there are. I do have some friends who are family, who have family, but they tend to move kind of out of the main center of Hollywood. Right, of course. Um, so, so there are families here. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but I saw a there's a I saw a screener for a great film that's coming out here very very soon, mm-hmm. um, and it's a film that's called Irreplaceable. Yes, and it's produced by Pine Creek Entertainment in association with Focus on the Family. Uh-huh. And and I am a huge fan of Focus on the Family. Yes, so am I. Um, yeah, if you don't know who they are, um, they're a Protestant organization, but they promote the family, and they've typically been very aligned with Catholic values. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, this film uh, follows uh, a Kiwi, a New Zealander, uh, Tim Sizerich, and he was, uh, of course, a Focus on Family director down in New Zealand. Yeah. But he, he kind of travels the world uh, searching for answers about the state of, you know, the family and our society. and interviews all sorts of experts and kind of goes on his own personal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not saying maybe at the, at the level of like a Michael Moore documentary or something like that, but it's a very solid documentary for what it is. And he, it, it, it's kind of very similar in spirit to uh, the human experience by, by grassroots film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but he does a very good job of presenting the current state of the culture which actually, to me, is kind of a little bit scary. You know, he does really talk about the hook of culture and one-night stands, and, you know, I mean, it's just kind of decline, 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 decline. Yeah. Um, but, he, but he also does a very good job of presenting some very good pro-family research from, you know, some very solid, you know, scientists and thinkers and philosophers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, finally kind of wraps up with uh, a very nice presentation of, of his own personal journey of really what it means to be a father. And uh, I think I think the greatest thing about this film is that uh, it presents that you know our greatest identity is not in our career, but but in whom we love and and in those around us. And most importantly, is showing that that family can be a great joy. Absolutely. And, and, and that's something that that I really wish could kind of exist, you know, out here. I, I think I think it, that can be a form of evangelization in and of itself. But if you know, I see myself as a Hollywood missionary. You know, other other people do. You know, hey, you can still have a family here. You know, and and that can be a witness to a community because you know it's not just you know, say the Catholics that aren't having families out here. It's also you know the the community at large. You know, people people like their little dog. You know, but they don't have children. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I think that's a great uh, testament to the work that Focus on the Family is doing. That they recognize that the, the you cannot have society. If you don't ha- have the family, and the family, the building block of the family is marriage. So, and and I know mm-hmm. that you know, it's like we start with marriage, family, mm-hmm. sexuality. It's all interrelated. So this is this is really good. I'm I'm very excited that you uh, brought this up. Um, now this movie is only being released one day, correct? Yes, a one day release. Um, so you're going to have to see it on May 6th in the U.S. and May 7th in Canada. And if you're looking for tickets, you can go to irreplaceablethemovie.com, and uh, they have some links there that will direct you to places that you can theaters that are showing it. Absolutely, I'm certainly gonna. So I, I'm. I think I'm gonna be in Houston on May 6th, so I think I'm gonna try to I'd see it in the states. Otherwise, I was because it is showing in my hometown here in Canada in Newmarket. So irreplaceablethemovie.com. I encourage everybody to go and see this film. Um, it's one day, May 6th in the States, May 7th in, in Canada. Go see it. it. It's great. It'll, it'll nourish your, your family life, but it also will inform you. And, and we, need to, uh, we need to defend the family. Thank you, Mark. Yes. Well, 
will nourish and boost you. So, yeah, mm-hmm. thank you very much, Pedro. There you have it. What's good in Hollywood with the family with Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary. Hi, I'm Steve Angrisano, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with my friend Deacon Pedro. Holy Week is so different from any other week in the Christian year. The three days of Triduum are between the 40 days of Lent and the 50 days of Easter. The great three days conclude on Easter Sunday afternoon. The passion, suffering, death, and resurrection of the Lord are the very themes that unite us as a Christian people and as a church this week. On Palm Sunday, as we listen attentively to Matthew's Passion this year, we cannot help but pick up on the striking contrast of the story. The evangelist presents us with Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of destiny for that final, fateful week of his life. We accompany Jesus up to Jerusalem amidst the crowds crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The day is filled with exceeding praise and jubilation, but looming on the horizon is a wave of hatred, destruction, and death. We, too, are caught up with the crowd acclaiming their Messiah and King as he descends the Mount of Olives, coming not with the trappings of a royal motorcade, but on a beast of burden. What striking images of royalty, humility, and divinity, all packed into this paradoxical scene of Jesus' entering his city. Full of enthusiasm, they welcome him on Palm Sunday as the King of Peace and the Bearer of Hope. Full of hate, five days later, they demand his death on the cross. On Palm Sunday, we are invited to remain among those who stayed true to him, even while he hung on the cross. Holy Thursday scripture readings root us deeply in our Jewish past, celebrating the Passover with the Jewish people, receiving from St. Paul that which was handed on to him, namely the Eucharistic banquet, and looking at Jesus squarely in the face as he kneels before us to wash our feet in humble service. After listening to the scriptures, we do something strange. We wash feet. On this night, Jesus gives us an image of what the church is supposed to look like, feel like, act like a community of servants and foot washers. After the meal on Mount Zion, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and threw himself to the ground, cried out aloud in sweated blood. Three times he prayed to the Father, always saying the same thing, that he could go on no longer. He stared with wild eyes at the figure of the angel who sought to comfort him. In a sense that we could never fully comprehend, Jesus descended into his suffering, into hell, into the destruction of all hopes. Yet there is no power in the world that can take such a savior from us. Those who have made self-seeking and pitiless self-assertion into a rule of life may cause us suffering and want, but in the depths of our being, they no longer have power over us, for they have had no power over Jesus. Good Friday is the day of the divine paradox. John's hauntingly moving passion narrative is proclaimed in the liturgy. We gather quietly to listen to the beloved disciples' account of the death of the Messiah. As the cross is held high in our midst, we gaze upon this instrument of death and destruction, and in some strange and mysterious way find strength and hope in our own struggles. It is not only a day of sorrow, but of glory. Today, what could have remained hideous and beyond remembrance is transformed into beauty, hope, 
and a continuous call to heroic goodness. Today the great high priest is not one distant from us and our condition, but he is the one who sympathizes with us, for he has experienced our weakness and pain, even our temptations. Holy Saturday is the day of grief and mourning, of patient waiting and hoping. Our own times parallel the experience of the disciples and Mary, Mother of the Lord, as they allowed the full impact of the Lord's death to become a reality for them. Their faith was strongly challenged as they awaited the resurrection. I suggest that we look at the example of the woman who generously poured very expensive oil on Jesus' head in the Passion account today. His disciples object, and Jesus' response to their objection is quite telling. Her prophetic act is indeed extraordinary in the context of Matthew's Passion, because we discover in the succeeding passages that the disciples will fall asleep, Peter, James, and John. They'll betray him like Judas and deny him like Peter. What a bold track record from Jesus' closest followers. And from this woman, what courage, what boldness, what an example. Though this nameless woman may not fully understand the significance of her symbolic and prophetic act of anointing, nor the timeliness of her action, she only desires to be with him and to express to him lavish love and attention. That is what we are called to do this week, to love Jesus and to be attentive to him through the final movements of the symphony of his earthly life. May our lives be like the jar of expensive ointment that this anonymous woman pours so lavishly on her Lord. Let this awesome week begin. Father Thomas Rosica is a Brazilian priest. He is the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. And now don't go anywhere because coming up in our second half hour, The Francis Effect, and we meet singer-songwriter Rebecca Rubion. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. On February 11, 2013, Pope Benedict XVI's resignation sent shockwaves through the Catholic Church and raised serious questions about its future direction. One month later, after only five ballots, the Cardinals elected the serene and unassuming Jorge Mario Bergoglio, Archbishop of Buenos Aires, as the 266th Pope of the Catholic Church he would be called Francis. Today, a year later, can we say that this man is changing the church? Can we say that this man is changing the world? Can we at least say that he is having a profound effect on the world? And to tell us more, I am now joined by Salt and Light TV producer Sebastian Gomes, producer of our newest documentary, The Francis Effect. Sebastian, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. So. Is the church changing under Francis? <laughs> that is the big question. That's the question everybody... Watch the documentary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the question people have been asking since the moment he was elected. I mean, we all remember those images when he walked out onto the balcony. There was a profound simplicity and humility about him, about the way he carried himself and about the message that he wanted to give to the world. Mm-hmm. And that really uh, sort of under underlines everything that he says and does. So right. um, uh, there is a there is a obviously a personality change. The Catholic Church now has a 
you know, a totally different person mm-hmm. who's, who's exercising the ministry of the Bishop of Rome. Mm-hmm. And there are consequences for that. There are changes. Yeah, you've told me before that, that, that people ask about, you know, whether there's a difference in change of style or change of substance. Substance has changed? No. Very good question. So uh, a lot of people will say, you know, this is a change of style. It's not a change in substance. And they equate substance with the official doctrines Doctrine, or, the, yeah. or the official teachings of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, uh, which Francis has changed none of. All of those nope. are exactly the same. He upholds them. He, you know, he said many times, I'm a loyal son of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. Mm-hmm. I believe all these things. I promote all these things. Um, but it's a question that's more complicated than that because... Uh, what we're starting to see, I think, is that in a way, style is substance. Si- style is an expression of uh-huh. priority. So uh, when he's emphasizing certain things and de-emphasizing other things, he's reorienting our priorities to say, right. you know, these are the fundamental things about the gospel that the Catholic Church must yeah, stand for. Absolutely, and that is a change, and it feels like something new. Um, okay, okay. Well, so, so the changes, the structural or, or governance changes that he has made. Having said what you just said, would you say that that is substance or style? <laughs> well, th- th- that's a that's another <laughs> no, kind of change. No, that's a good example. That is, yeah, 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 and 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 it's a, it's another kind of kind of change that he, that he's enacting. Um, you know, th- the changes in the bureaucracy of the of the Vatican, for example, the structural mm-hmm. changes to different you know commissions, the Vatican Bank, you know, the uh, the promotion, the commit, the starting the commission for for sexual abuse to advise yes. them on sexual abuse. Um, the whole thing with the Synod of Bishops, how that's going to look in the mm-hmm. future. Those are, uh, you know, in a way, kind of technical things. Those are structural reforms. So they don't actually deal with, you know, the eternal uh, kind of dogmas yeah. of the Catholic Church that are essential for the Christian faith, the mm-hmm. tenets, the essential tenets of the Christian faith. Um, I mean, none of those things are, uh, are, are, you know, are kind of permanent. Those things are, are, yes. are, are, are a means to an end. They're not an end in yes. themselves. Yes. So they, they are changeable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he's obviously uh, not afraid to change those things as he sees fit. The, mm-hmm. the, other, the important thing to remember about those structural changes in the Vatican is that uh, the conclave uh, was so unique in that ben- Pope Benedict resigned and didn't pass away mm-hmm. um, that the cardinals could have these open conversations about what was needed in the church. And many, many cardinals said at that time before entering the conclave, these are the things that have to be dealt with by the future pope who is among us. Right. So they had a mandate. They had a mandate. So so what we're seeing with him regarding structural change is really a mandate from his brother cardinals. Interesting. Now, what would you say it is about Francis's personality, and we can talk about style now, that is having such a profound effect? It's definitely what's appealing and attractive to so many people. Um, there's when I talk to people and you know the people in the film that we interviewed, they all say he's authentic. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a human quality to him that he he is genuine. He's authentic, um, and and he's free. He's a free person. You know his faith in Jesus has you know liberated him mm-hmm. from the kind of fears and concerns that many of all of us are kind of you know caught up in you know in our daily lives and that's very attractive to people that he seems to be a person who's who's unafraid to 
to be who God wants him to be, yeah, yeah. which is real, and and it's a great role model for all of us because if you're a Christian, I mean, that's something to aspire to. That that, that is a Absolutely. you know what we call holiness in a way, the way he carries himself. So yeah, yeah, I, I guess what people say that he walks the talk. It sounds yeah. kind of banal, but that's exactly what it is. Now you were in Rome during the conclave. You were there just before, and you had a chance to meet with Father Bergoglio <laughs> on the streets of Rome. Tell us about that meeting. Father Cardinal. Yeah, he looked like a priest just walking around in his you know, regular black uh, black suit and clerics. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah w- Father Tom and I were, were working in Rome. We went out for pizza in Piazza Novona one night, and uh, he was just walking by himself down the street. We just bumped into him. And right. So we started talking to him for a bit, and uh, he, he, was very, he was very peaceful and, and he, very tender in the way he was kind of looking at us and talking to us. And he was actually po- making fun of Father Tom, joking about all the difficult things that he had that to he deal had to with, with. <laughs> with the media and everything. That's and right. Little, so did, father, yeah, little did he know, too. Was, dealing, was the English language assistant. He is the English language assistant for the press office for the Vatican. Right. So that's, that's what r- you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Little did he know that two days later he'd be elected pope and he'd be dealing with <laughs> an entirely exactly. uh, complicated situation on his own. But uh, he was a very peaceful man, a very humble man. And I didn't really know what to say to him. You know, this was two days before the cardinals were going to enter the conclave. And he was holding our hands. And, and I just said, Cardinal, uh, you know, I, we're, we're praying for you. Uh, you know, I want you to know that, yeah. that myself, I and the rest of the, the Catholics around the world are praying for you guys. And he just kind of smiled and squeezed my hand and said, you know, thank you very much. Uh, I'm nervous. Wow. And <laughs> it, it was amazing, uh, you know. And I actually rem- remember thinking, I don't think I've uh, said this uh, publicly before, but um, I, as he was walking away, I remember thinking, well, he's got no chance <laughs> because it, because if you remember the conversations before the conclave, it was, you know, there was an age limit on, you know, right. the, the Cardinals were going to pick somebody younger and this was going to be someone who knew the inner workings of the Vatican intimately because of the bureau- bureaucratic problems. Right. And, it was just uh, it famous was an inc- last words. Famous <laughs> last words. It was, but it, but an incredible experience. Uh, you know, uh, greeting that uh, humble man. Well, so for the last year, and especially for the last six months, the last three months, you've been immersed, examining, interviewing people, working on this documentary, The Francis Effect. What would you say is unique about what we're going to see uh, when this documentary uh, airs? Yeah. Um, th- what we wanted to do with this film was go deeper. So mm-hmm. we knew that around the one-year anniversary of Francis's election, that there would be many programs kind of recapping, you know, one year of Pope Francis, cover of time, you know, he carries his own briefcase, he washed the feet of, yes, you know, of the, the Muslim, kids and yeah. a Muslim and a woman and uh, two yeah. women in the, uh, in the prison. Uh, you know the who am I to judge statement, mm-hmm. and you know we touch on all of uh, all of those things, but we take it a step further and we say, okay. Uh, given what he said and given what he's done, what does that mean for the Catholic Church? Is there a historical context to this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is there cultural and political and social consequences to the things that he's doing? In other words, what's the relation between what's happening in the church and what's happening in the world? You mm-hmm. know, because uh, I'll just tell you a very quick uh, story to kind of get to illustrate that. When we were interviewing uh, Monsignor John Kozar, who's the pr- the head of the Catholic Near East Welfare Association mm-hmm. in New York, right. does a lot of great work in the yes. Near East, as we know. We know them well. Um, you know, he told me that he ran into a bishop from Syria a few months ago, and he said, listen, the Christians and the Muslims in my country are begging me to tell Pope Francis to wow. get involved in the conflict somehow, mm-hmm. you know in the conflicts that are that are plaguing this part of the world because he's the only person in the world 
with the moral authority to yeah. help kind of bring people together and mm-hmm. promote dialogue uh, and, 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 and inspire people to actually sit down and talk to each other. And that, that's a very powerful thing, you know. So this is what we realized was, uh, you know, in this section of the film that, you know, this is not only a pope for the Catholic Church, it's also a for pope the for the world. whole world. Yeah. Now, so you, he's in the film. Any other people that we should be looking for uh, that are in the film? Great question. You know, one of the big uh, things that we deal with in the film is the relation between the Vatican and the media mm-hmm. because it hasn't always yeah, been a yeah, great yeah. Uh, uh, relationship, as we know, you know, uh, um, over the last co- few decades. But uh, po- Pope Francis has really changed the narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we wanted to speak to the people who have covered the Catholic Church for many years mm-hmm. a- and covered, you know, the election of Francis and, ha- you know, in his first pontificate. So we went to CBS. We talked to Scott Pelley, who's the head of the CBS, run, or does the CBS Evening News. Yeah. We uh, went to ABC and spoke to Diane Sawyer, who does yeah. the ABC Evening News. We went to CNN and talked to Anderson Cooper, who yeah. does uh, you know AC360 is his show. Um, we talked to Allison Smith, who's a great journalist for in CBC Canada, here yeah. in Canada. Uh, and all these people just were dying to talk about Francis. Like yeah. he is a newsmaker, mm-hmm. uh, and and you know I would just tell people you know uh, you'd be surprised how deep the Francis effect is really going in people's lives, you know, and these are, these are not nobodies. These are kind of, you know, these are celebrities and you know what the things that they say said to us and Mm -hmm. shared with us about how they've been moved about what Francis has done and what he's about is really, really uh, powerful uh, testimony. No, that's just for that. that It's it's worth watching the film, but I know that lots of other people now we got to leave it there, but the Francis effect is going to premiere on salt and light television on April 17th. That's Holy Thursday at 9 PM Eastern. But if you're not in our broadcast area in Canada, you can watch all our programs streaming online at saltandlighttv.org slash live. And after that, the, the uh, film will also be available f- as pay-per-view on Vimeo. So it'll be available so people can watch it. Um, Sebastian, thank you for sharing a little bit of what you're doing with us today and, and for doing the work that you're doing. It's, it's good uh, sharing a cubicle kind of <laughs> with you. Thanks a lot, Deacon Pedro. I love being here with you. Sebastian Gomes is the producer at Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. His latest documentary, The Francis Effect, as I said, is premiering on April 17th, Holy Thursday. For more information, you can go to saltandlighttv.org slash the Francis Effect. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Rebecca Rubion, with Martyr Heart from her album Forests.
was Rebecca Rubion with Martyr Heart from her album Forests. Well, if you saw a picture of Rebecca Rubion, you'd never think that the voice that you just heard came out of that body. And that's what's amazing about her. Sometimes small, intimate, and affectionate, and sometimes soaring and passionate, belting it. And her songs are also refreshing, fun, meaningful, thoughtful, folk-infused, indie pop, if I can say that that, that's a combination. It's always great to meet new artists. And so I am pleased to welcome Rebecca Rubion to our program. Rebecca, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's so fun. So you're, you're in Nashville. Did you grow up in Nashville? Are you originally from there? Are you from, you're from the South though. I think I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. Actually, I was born in New Orleans and, and both sides of my family are from there. But I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, so I'm just a southern girl. A southern girl. Now, so what was it like growing up in the Rubion household? (laughs) Um, You know, I was so blessed um, to have a really wonderful childhood. Uh, My parents um, just really cultivated a rich, rich uh, faith life in all of us. I'm one of five kids. Uh Um, I'm the second of five, and... I actually live with my older sister here in Nashville. We're we're Irish twins, so we're really close right. in age. And um, yeah, it was just it was really really wonderful. Um, so my parents listened to some great music. I grew up with Carol King and Eva Cassidy, and yeah. um, just great matriarchs um, right. of the '60s and '70s. And 
Um, so I got to learn how I think really great music and great songs mm-hmm. were made. Um, and that definitely ins- inspired me. Absolutely. Now, did you have to like take piano lessons or when you were little or how was that? that? Yes. Um, <laughs> my parents made actually all five of us take piano. Yeah. And um, when I was in second grade, they, they put me in lessons and um, they wouldn't, I was the last one to quit. They wouldn't let me quit uh, piano lessons. I think they saw that I, I like had a passion for it, even right. though I hated practicing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I I love just I love going to sit at the piano and I learned all my songs by ear, so yes. I would just memorize you a would song, fake it, as yeah. soon as I learned it. And um, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, but, and and actually, our piano teacher growing up would have us create a song for re- recital every year. Oh, nice. So that was kind of an assignment that I really like. I just relished in and mm-hmm. um I think that those were some of my first songs for right sure. so you were writing music at an early age yes yes and even I, I like I always say I was born a songwriter because growing up in between two sisters the three of us would just make up songs constantly and I was always kind of the brains behind the outfit um writing the melody and the word and then the words and then we would um, perform them for my right. parents which is right. so <laughs> sweet um Very so cool. i just kind of i've just kind of always loved to create songs right and now as as a catholic growing up in a faith-filled family w- did you have to sing at mass were you in the choir or doing solos at christmas eve mass that kind mm-hmm. of thing my my parents really um they loved to like encourage us to participate in church in any way that we could and mm-hmm. i I wanted to to be part of the worship band. We had a life t- life teen mass yeah. growing up, and um, so we did a lot of praise and worship songs, which yeah. were really beautiful. And I got to play kind of in a band uh, atmosphere, and that really right. helped, like taught me so much. Absolutely. So you, so you're not classical. I think we can hear that in your voice, but th- but there's a mm-hmm. lot of things in there. So how would you describe? How would you describe not just your music style, but your? How would you describe y- you yourself as a singer? Um, y- you know, people ask me that like every day, <laughs> and every day I struggle to answer that question. Um, I I definitely have some grit and some soul, uh, just mm-hmm. in my lyrics and in my voice, in my delivery, um, and I think that comes from my New Orleans roots. Yeah. Um, but I also have kind of a folky, uh, especially now, like the songs that I'm writing currently, um, I kind of have yeah. a, a folk song, um, yeah, yeah, just singer-songwriter uh, type style, and mm-hmm. I think that comes from growing up in Alabama and also moving to Nashville, where it's all about the song here. Uh-huh. So um, I hope that answered your Yeah, question. no, okay, well, let me ask you this. Has it, if it's changed... Is that because you moved to Nashville, or is that because you're growing and maturing as a as a person, as an artist? And does that mean that you'll just keep changing, and you're not sort of going to be pigeonholed into being this kind of artist or that kind of artist? Sure. You know, I think it's both. Uh, the fact that I've changed habitats, but I've <laughs> also grown up and and honed my sound. Um, I've been writing and performing since I was 16. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been doing it for about 10 years now. And I think at the beginning, I, I had a lot more jazz chords. And, yeah. um, you know, that was back when I was in Louisiana for college. And mm-hmm. 
And then as I've matured, I've become more, um, I've let the music composition get out of the way and, and let my songs speak for themselves, right. um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Did you, did you study music in college? What did you study? I didn't. I studied public relations, actually. What? And really? <laughs> okay. It's funny how useful that, that happens to be in my career because yes. I'm woefully yes. terrible at promoting myself, so it's good to at least know, have an education on what I'm supposed to be doing there. Oh, wow. If every, um, if every indie artist was a publicist, we'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's such, a, it's such a helpful background, yes. for sure. I love publicists. They're my best friends because um, mm-hmm. they give me content. You yes. you told me just before we went on air that you you were undercover, um, and I don't want. I think <laughs> it's safe to blow your cover here because most of our our listeners are Catholic. So cool. w- why t- to be an undercover Catholic artist in in the secular world? What's what's that all about? I think that not only in my music but also in my um, just my personal life. Um, I've always taken opportunities to minister to people who are outside of the church. Mm. I kind of, I like to like equate myself in a very humble way to, to Paul, St. Paul. Yeah. Um, I think that you, just like Christ, had to become like us to, to teach us uh, about our relationship with God. I'm, I have to go out into the world and not be of the world, but be in the world and um, I think that that I'm called to that ministry mm-hmm. and to write secular songs. Yes. Um, but but that that all ultimately, uh, it's my hope and my aim to point to a greater a greater power, which is for me uh, God and mm-hmm. and Christ, and um, to speak to that beauty of of our relationship with Him as His people yeah. and as a Catholic. Um, a lot of my songs are influenced by my Catholic faith. I have a couple songs that are directly about Jesus, mm-hmm. um, but, but you wouldn't know that unless I told you or mm-hmm. um, unless you knew maybe I was a Christian or Catholic artist, you know. So um, I guess that's what I mean by, by being an undercover yeah. Catholic artist. And I think, you know what, I mean, funnily, enough, I think that your music, you're right. Nobody's going to listen to your music and say, oh, that's she's a Christian, you know, CCM or anything. But... But the, I think that if you listen to it, you do get it's that music that that lifts you up and it's pointing to something greater. I, I think it's there. Do you have situations mm-hmm. where you're hanging out with artists who are not of faith or who are of or who are Christian but not Catholic and then find out your what happens when they find out that you are Catholic? Um, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, I hope a lot of people, um, really respect uh, mm-hmm. my my beliefs, even if they're not of faith, um, if they don't have any particular beliefs whatsoever. Yeah. Um, after listening to my music, knowing my art first, I think, um, and I think as Christians, we kind of have to we have to be known for who we are first. Yeah, and, and um, I love that Saint Francis talked about um you know preach the gospel gospel. if necessary use words and i I think like i kind of equate that in in, to my art just i want people to know my music first Mm -hmm. and then as they get to know me as a person um i think that they'll more more 
they'll be more um, quick to just respect my beliefs. Absolutely. Because I am not... Um, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to explain because I think that I think we need openly Christian artists. I think we need CCM. I think um, the worship ministry is so important. We need to minister uh, within. But um, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I just feel a strong calling to minister to people who Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Yeah, CCM has a searching, yeah it has a know? place, but there's also a place for people that are doing. And you're not the only one. There are a lot. I speak to a lot of artists, and there's a lot of them who are out there. In fact, we have a segment here called the Hollywood Undercover Missionary and it's a guy who works for for, uh, for uh, I won't say what company but a, a, uh, an animated motion picture company in Hollywood mm. and oh that's amazing and he's the undercover missionary so in Hollywood and like him there are, there are lots um, we have to leave it there but I did want to let people know that and this will not be undercover because it's Catholic Fest <laughs> in Wisconsin the July yes. 4th weekend so that's coming up so if anybody is going to Catholic Fest in Wisconsin the July 4th weekend um, the Friday night, July 4th, Rebecca's going to be uh, singing, uh, featured, uh, she actually, she'll be having a concert there, correct? Yes, and I'm so excited. That'll be a lot of fun. Very cool. And the other thing I wanted to say before I let you go is that you're very kind in, in doing an album giveaway. So one of our listeners will get an album, and this is a sp limited edition album called The Old, The Young, and it's got songs from several of your other albums as well as two singles. So um, I think that's a very special treat. So somebody next week will announce the winner of that. So thank you, Rebecca, for, for that yes, beautiful gift. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, hopefully our, our paths will cross one day. Yes. As I mentioned, Rebecca is going to be at, at uh, Catholic Fest in Wisconsin on July 4th. You can learn more about Rebecca at her website, RebeccaRubion.com. That's R-O-U-B-I-O-N, but we're going to put that link on our site just so that you can find it easily. Here now is Rebecca with her new single, This Is What Love Looks Like. It's a flash of a shooting star Sunbeams through the rain It's the beep, beep, beat of your heart It's the smile that starts your day And it makes you say, it makes you say La, 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 la listening to Rebecca Rubion with her single, This Is What Love Looks Like. And that will bring us to the end of the program this week. Remember that if you missed part of this program, you can stream or podcast all of our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. And that's also where you can stay connected to win weekly prizes from our featured artists and guests. Remember to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1. Send us your comments on what you've heard on this program. And while you're there, you can also look for me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro. I'm also on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for listening. Have a holy and blessed Holy Week. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. La, la, la.